Welcome to the Disgruntled Rats podcast on Android development. Welcome to the September 11, 2011 Disgruntled Rats podcast. My name is Sean Godinez. With me I have Mike Boldeshar and Brian Morgan. Today we're going to, well, we have a lot to talk about. We're going to start off with an icebreaker here. So, if we're going to solve the U.S. debt problem using objects or things you might find underwater, for example, sunken pirate ships or um, whales, how would you do it, Brian? Well, I think what I would do is I would find, uh, probably find a lot of the gold that's underwater or across the world from the old days when they had the frigates filled with gold they'd bring to the New World and bring back from uh, South America back to, to Spain and Europe. I think, uh, if I remember right, there was a statistic thrown out in the Discovery Channel show I watched one time. There was like, there's just billions and billions and billions of dollars of gold just underneath the ocean. And, you know, we'll never find it. Um, it's probably under like, you know, 200 feet of muck by now. But what I would do is uh, I would go under there and get a really sneaky submarine and find all that gold and bring it up here. And I would cash it in for loot. And uh, hopefully that would bring us back up to, um, to even keel. <laughs> probably not, though. But that's what I would do. Uh, you should run for president, Brian. I think a lot of people would follow that more than <laughs> the other people's plans. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. <laughs> no problem. Mike, what would you do? Uh, as many of you know, we have problems with the exotic species here in Minnesota. We have uh, zebra mussels that are growing in our lakes. So my idea is... We're going to take these zebra mussels, and instead of making them sort of a, a foreign, unwanted species, we're going to uh, cultivate them. So we're going to grow zebra mussels all over the U.S., and then we're going <laughs> to eat zebra mussels and export everything else. So we're going to have zebra mussel stew, zebra mussel salads, zebra mussel steak, and uh, basically we'll export everything else to Canada, where they will send all their money to us. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I like it. I think it's worth looking into. I think you guys have uh, some pretty good ideas there. Uh, mine is, I I guess, uh, I'm thinking the world needs a little more love. and Maybe that would just resolve all problems, including debt. So we should really rally up the mermaids <laughs> around the around the world <laughs> and have each of them, you know, just just bring the love forth. You know? Are you talking about aquatic prostitution, Sean? Uh, you know... Call it what you may. I think what happens between a consenting adult and a sea <laughs> mammal is, is between them. So, fair enough. I like that. That's good. <laughs> well, cool. So, do you have to worry about diseases and that type of stuff with mermaids? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. You sound very sure of yourself. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. you got to watch out for that. Those those mer girls. You know, they say they love you, but. They've also loved uh, men who were not clean, I'm sure. Yeah, <laughs> Lots of, of dirty lot pirates of sailors out there. and pirates, right. And fish, right? I mean, they're part fish, so there's a chance that their last partner was a fish. Yeah, you don't want that. <laughs> and imagine that. Say they're you know exclusive with like some great white shark, and then you go stomping in his territory, Ooh, hitting on his lady. Yeah. You got that problems. won't end well. No, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> There's that new like shark 3D movie that just came out. Anyone happen to see that? It looked pretty bad. No, I I missed no. that. <laughs> yeah, it's just like it's, someone put sharks into a pond, and then these unknowing uh, people went and swam in the pond, I guess, and <laughs> turned a movie into it. Freshwater sharks, huh? Neat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Anyway, so let's. Um, anyone got anything new? Um, we've got news on Shape Defense, which is our uh, our first game we're going to be releasing, hopefully in the winter time frame, uh, if everything goes well. Um, so it's coming along nicely. We've got some models developed. We're going to be posting those on our website, which is www.shapedefense.com. Uh, we have level music made, sound effects, uh, our engine, our Phantom engine, which might be uh, renamed to another name soon, maybe, is coming along well. Um, we've worked out some big bugs in terms of shaders and uh, getting a lot of things to work together. So if you are interested in uh, the game, which is a tower defense game for the Android platform, um, go to our website for some updated content to see the models. We've got little test animation videos, which we're going to post up there soon. And uh, keep in mind our, our, 
are basically, uh, yeah, it's going to be a great, great game. Um, that's about it. I don't know. What do you think? You guys have any comments on shape defense? I heard it's an awesome game. Everybody should check it out. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, it is going to be pretty cool. Uh, we're trying to integrate some of the more novel concepts of tower defense games, which we liked, into this game because we're building it, so we can do whatever we want with it. So hopefully uh, everybody listening enjoys it as well when we release it. We'll be sure to let you know. Um, moving on to computer graphics, Mike. Okay. Uh, before we do that, you guys have any other news you want to talk about? Anything happening? For me, I'm just getting ready for winter, noticing that all the fairs are over, kind of getting ready to get my snowblower ready and plow out the neighbor's driveways. Um, boy, it's sure getting cool out there quick. Do you guys have any other updates? Not all the fairs are over. There's still the Renaissance Fair going on strong. So I think I'm going to gown up with my uh, mage robe and Azersong mage blade sword. Nice. Head on out there. <laughs> awesome. I actually went there yesterday. It was uh, it was awesome. Spent the yeah. whole day there. It's a great time. Got a staff. I bought like this dragon tooth necklace, <laughs> and I was gonna buy a tunic, a leather tunic, but it was like four hundred bucks. And after three beers, I was about three seconds away from doing it. But I, I came to my senses. Thank God. That would have been pretty awesome, though, Brian. You could have wore that every year. I know. I might. Well, I'm going back on the 30th of September, so I might get it then. But I don't know. Maybe get a cheaper one or something. There's plenty of them there. It's an investment, Brian. <laughs> I can't afford not to buy it. <laughs> right. I saw some pretty cool swords there, like for two grand a piece. Oh yeah. They're uh, pretty awesome. Yeah, I'll send you a picture later of uh, a sword that I was looking at. It's about it was about seven feet long. I looked like Cloud from Final Fantasy VII, <laughs> and it was like six hundred bucks only. Pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Brian? What's what's new with you? Um, going to Hawaii tomorrow for a couple of weeks, so I'll be out of the action for an uh, extended period of time. But aside from that, just basically working and trying to, I don't know, tread water, I guess. Going to be going to be kind of a early flight tomorrow, so I don't know. Should be a good time. First time to Hawaii. Should be interesting. That sounds sounds great. Yeah, I'll try to stay away from the sharks. I guess there's a lot out there. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> mermaids, too. Yeah. <laughs> so, Mike, cloth simulation? Yeah, here we go. Uh, computer graphics. We're going to talk about cloth simulation algorithms here. Um, we're on to the news segment of the pop podcast. And over at geeks3d.com, the author Jagax, who seems to be the only author over there, um, he wrote about uh, a project called OpenCloth, which is a, a set of open source cloth simulation algorithms. Uh, this project uses Visual C++ and OpenGL bindings. And the goal of this project was to help beginners and researchers implement basic algorithms for cloth simulation. They're not trying to uh, make this project uh, just a library. They want you to um, see what they've done and adapt these algorithms for your own use. And it's it's basically made to be a platform to learn from. And there's some pretty neat demos out there of uh, seeing vertices and in, in cloths, you know, moving around in space. And it's pretty interesting stuff. So go check it out at geeks3d.com. Sean, yeah, this is an article about WebGL as a ray tracing water simulation that Evan Wallace put together. It's uh, it's very neat. There's basically a pool with a, a sphere in it. You get to move the sphere around and make waves and splashes and things. And uh, There's uh, ray tracing across the surface to, to do reflection and Fresnel effects. And uh, it's, it's pretty cool. I recommend you check it out. The links on our will be on our uh, website. And uh, very fun, very neat to see this coming through your browser. Did you get the gravity enabled when you tried it out? Oh, I don't know if I saw that part. I think you hit the G button in the sphere. Um, and there's buoyancy and it drops um, with gravity, which is kind of neat too. Ah, uh, okay. That was just splashing. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I was having some trouble with that demo, getting it to work in um, Chrome on Ubuntu. Don't know what the deal is, but I also saw the same thing at, um, at work with a Macintosh. So some issues with uh, WebGL compatibility or detecting if it's compatible. Not sure what the deal is, but hopefully that kind of stuff goes away pretty soon. Cool. Brian, you want to take us into the sure. Android news? Yeah, so Android news here. Uh, Google is going to buy Motorola, mm, the company. <laughs> uh, I'm reading on the Google blog right now, which is uh, googleblog.blogspot.com, and I'll just read this paragraph here. Uh, basically, they're talking about, okay, today more than 150 million Android devices have been activated worldwide. Um, given Android's phenomenal success, we're always looking for new ways to supercharge the Android ecosystem, and uh, that's why they're going to acquire Motorola in its entirety. Um, so then they go on to talk about Motorola having over 80 years of innovation, etc. So this is kind of a big deal. Uh, they passed on Sun Microsystems and went for Motorola, um, obviously to increase its patent portfolio as well as um, just be poised for the supercharged growth that's going to happen with the Android platform as it keeps going up and up. It's on a you know rising trend, and it's only going to keep going as the developer groups continue working on new apps and new hardware comes out with new features and everything like that. So what do you guys think about this whole purchase between Google and Motorola? It's a big move, that's for sure. Yeah. It's like, what, $12 billion? Yeah, gigantic amount of money. I saw, like, uh, people are starting to sue each other all over the place now. Like, HTC is suing Apple with patents it received from Google. And uh, Apple's suing people. Who the, they sue? I don't know. They're always suing somebody, I guess. But suing Samsung. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's it's interesting. They just buying those patents is pretty big. Yeah, the way I understand it is that this Motorola mo- mobility isn't the entire Motorola company, but just uh, the mobile part of it. Uh, I think that Motorola is bigger than that, the way I understand it, and and it goes in a lot of different areas. And uh, I didn't. I don't think Google bought the entire company you guys what do you guys think is that true i, th- I think it was just the mo- mobility part of it yeah i don't know on their blog they say motorola as a whole i mean they don't say as a whole but they just say that's why i'm so excited today to announce that we've agreed to acquire motorola period and then they talk about motorola and then if you click on the link because acquire motorola is hyperlinked it says google to acquire motorola mobility which is I guess the mobility portion. So they should have probably reworded that to say <laughs> Motorola Mobility in the first place, I guess. But the title does say uh, Motorola Mobility. So that's what a subsection of Motorola, then I assume. Yeah, just their cellular devices. I'm thinking. Okay, cool. So yeah, it'd probably be a little bit more money if they're going to acquire the whole company then. But uh, yeah, it's still a large amount of money, large portion of the company. I'm I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, indeed. I still wish they would have bought Sun Micro or Sun Microsystems because uh, it kind of would have saved Java from doom. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a while ago though. When they didn't have the funding then, or yeah, I don't know. It's a little more cautious because now they're like buying everything up. It looks like. Yeah, now they're threatened by everybody from Oracle to Apple to Microsoft, and now they're on a buying binge. Okay, you guys ready to move on? Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Um, lots of Amazon Kindle rumors are going around. Uh, no real hard facts on what the next device is going to be, and we've talked about Amazon a lot in this show. So you guys might be tired of hearing about it, but I'm I'm super excited to uh, get a new Kindle myself. Uh, basically, from TechCrunch, we have... Or, I'm sorry, there's a link to Gizmodo who cited TechCrunch... Um, and the link's in the show notes, but they're talking about uh, a 7-inch touchscreen. It will only support two-finger multi-touch. Single-core processor, uh, maybe 6 gigs of storage. No physical buttons, no camera, rubberized back. And they're talking about the software being a fork of the older 2.2 Android. Uh, As you know, they have a marketplace for Amazon does for content, so I'm guessing that a lot of the apps will be hooked into the, the marketplace and you'll 
downloaded buy apps from Amazon. So they're going to go around Google and the Google's market. Uh, yeah, that's that's really it. Being able to connect to the cloud and sync your content in the cloud is another interesting feature. So I really just hope that they did this one right and didn't kind of rush it out the door. I mean, they're behind the competition with these touch screens the way it is. They might as well uh, lead the way and be innovative and, and sort of make something better than everybody else. You don't just want to be following taillights. Hang on a second. Yeah, exactly. That's a good point. Yes, yeah, let's, let's just check and see if they like actually got some color e-ink, but it looks like it's just an LCD mm-hmm. panel. Yeah, that uh, the whole thing about the, I don't know, all these touch screens have come out, um, I don't know, I'm sure that that actually will flow nicely in the next article, which you're going to cover about the uh, the Android. You want to just hop into that one, Sean? Sure. This article is found on the Java Posse website. Um, ABI Research did a study that showed Android has captured 20% of Apple's tablet market over the last 12 months. It's a quote from ABI Researcher. Uh, Many vendors have introduced media tablets, but none are separating themselves from the pack to, to pose a serious threat to Apple. So that's um, slowly but surely. Yeah, slowly but surely chipping away at the kingdom of Apple. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny that Steve Jobs used to be good friends with Apple, and he used to um, sort of be on, I thought it was the board of directors, but he was really involved in in the the company of Google, I'm sorry. He was involved in Google, and they had this (laughs) great relationship. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) yeah, 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 it's it's late, guys, it's 9 o'clock. So they had this good relationship, and... All of a sudden, Google became a huge competitor to Apple with mobile devices and selling tablets, and and I think that really ruined the relationship there um, because they basically became the only competitor to Apple. And it's just kind of interesting how that story played out. Yeah, I don't, I don't know like why those relationships get have to get heated or st- like you still can't be friends. I mean, you're always it's good to have competition unless they're like 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 anything malicious was going on i think that i, th- I think that type of competitions can be healthy between two companies yeah i'm sure they're pretty friendly when they're sitting on their mega yachts out in the caribbean though i'm sure <laughs> <laughs> with their uh two million dollar bars and uh baristas i'm sure they're they're plenty friendly at those points but i mean the, just the the passion these guys have for their companies you know, and to see to see somebody rise up and actually pose a threat to them, I think it naturally makes them defensive, and that probably carries over to the interpersonal level at some point. You know, they, I'm sure they're professional with each other, but yeah, I don't know. I could, I could see them coming to you know, I don't know, I guess some angry moments. <laughs> yeah, especially yeah. since actually, Jobs is part of you know, like Mike said, was helping Google out in their beginning days, and all of a sudden they come out of nowhere and boom explode yeah. so. and rivals rivalries always grow pretty well between companies like that or just people in the same genre when they know that who your competitor is exactly you know yeah it's like the whole uh, competition thing you know with um i don't know i guess these make a weird sort of analogy here the miller light girls from college you know you'd see them at the bar they'd be promoting miller products and they could not drink uh bud light you know, if they did, they get yeah. fired. So I guess it's kind of the same culture at these huge organizations like Microsoft, Apple, and Google. It's, you work for Microsoft, you do not buy any, you know, Google products, <laughs> or you might get fired. You know, so I don't know. I'm not sure that I'm not saying that's what it's like, but maybe to some extent. Yeah, be interesting. Yeah, I, I heard that Steve Jobs was really bitter about the whole thing and sort of unforgiving of Google and even at a personal level. So he's just an interesting character, though. Very secretive. I mean, the way that Apple's designed is that they don't leak any information about their products, and they make a lot of media hype about it. And, uh, yeah, it's just it's a very interesting way of doing business, I guess, in a, in a big company like that. So you guys ready to move on? Yep, let's do it. Uh, mermaids. 
<laughs> what do we got here? Tactile feedback from Disney? Yeah. That yours, Mike? Yeah, what are you, some gaming now? Yeah, we're going to skip 3D modeling because we don't have any news there. I've been, I guess that could, I've been doing a lot of work with playing on a blender lately. That's been pretty fun. Uh, they've got they've got a good discount going right now, 25% off for their introductory video set, like a training set. Of, it's like 23 hours worth of uh, video tutorials combined with uh, uh, this really detailed vehicle modeling tutorial, which is another 15 hours. And it's it's pretty neat. I went through I'm only through a couple hours of it right now, but it's stop by there and check it out if you're interested in getting that working with Blender. It's a free open source 3D modeling tool and it's pretty powerful. So cool. Yeah, we were playing around with Collada and importing models into uh, Google Sketch SketchUp. Is that what it's called? And kind of yeah. trying to test out some of our stuff. Yeah. Uh, and it, it works okay. We were having a lot of trouble with loading textures from Collada. I don't know if the guys at Google know what's going on there, but no matter what we did, we just couldn't get textures loading on our models in, in that program. So if anybody listening knows how to do that, they should send us an email, and we will give you 50 points, which are redeemable for mermaids or something. I don't know. 50 cool points. That's what you get. And maybe a T-shirt. Cool maybe a free T-shirt. Yeah, if you solve that problem for us, T-shirt. Yep. <laughs> All right, okay, back to feedback. back to real stuff here. Okay, um, tactile feedback from Disney. So Disney teamed up with Carnegie Mellon University to develop a driving simulator game that allows you to feel bumps in the road as you drive. Users can also feel objects falling on the car, skidding, braking, and accelerating. And this is all accomplished using uh, low-cost vibrating actuators, which are embedded into the chair. Um, I read this article and I thought, well, what makes this different from uh, like a driving simulation that you might have at an arcade or something? And I guess I'm not really sure, but maybe they've gone much further along in the development and uh, have more details. Like they said, you know, objects flying on the car, those are oftentimes things that you can't um, experience in a driving simulator. <laughs> and yeah, somebody want to comment on this? Mike, uh, Mike sounds like a robot right now. I'm not sure if <laughs> yeah. that's going to follow through to the end of the end of the um, show or not. We, we actually record these podcasts from our home locations using Audacity, and we record them on separate audio threads, and then we piece them together after the show. So. If you do not hear Mike's robotic voice, uh, you're missing out. <laughs> but we hear, well, we hear it. Yeah, it's, it, it, Mike actually is a robot, so we <laughs> tune it also to try and make it sound more human-like. <laughs> and now it's just something's going on there. That's the AI you've been working on then. That's good stuff, Sean. Yeah, good yeah. stuff. <laughs> All your baits are belong to us. <laughs> oh, uh, good stuff. Oh. <laughs> all right, cool. Moving on to... Uh, little Battlefield 3 action. I know you're all wondering about Battlefield 3, and you probably are chomping at the bit like most of us are to get that out the door and onto our computers. Um, there's a nice video on our show notes here at IGN.com talking about uh, the innovation associated with Battlefield 3. DICE's general manager talks for about four minutes on frame rates, AI, environmental destructions, and uh, tips for success in the battlefield. Um, the big points from what he was talking about were... Well, first off, the gameplay is just astoundingly awesome. Uh, I mean, the the Frostbite 2 engine is just incredible. Um, the amount of detail and the the rendering is fantastic, as well as the destructible environments. I mean, entire skyscrapers will fall down, like, you know, if you shoot them enough, instead of, like, little huts, like in Battlefield 2 Bad Company. So, uh, really cool video. Check it out. You're going to love the game. Um, they're not paying us to say this. We're just very enthusiastic about playing it because it's going to be, it's going to be wild. Uh, they also talked about you know how it's good to stay in squads and stuff like that, which I think is a no-brainer if you're going to play a game like that. So, Lone Wolf Sniper. There you go. That's Michael. <laughs> <laughs> one shot, one kill. Yeah, I also came across a really cool presentation that Dice put out. Um, on slideshare.net under their Dice Studio directory. They have like five rendering ideas that they pulled from Battlefield 3 and Need for Speed, the run. 
and uh, it was really really in depth presentation, or at least um, the math was really deep. It was pretty neat, so I recommend checking that out. I'll post a link for that also. Cool, thanks, Sean. Sweet. Do I still sound like a, a robot, guys? You're back to normal now. Yeah. Awesome. The Matrix has corrected itself, and yeah, you sound good now. <laughs> uh, Minecraft and Steam. I suppose it's a lot of games and Steam uh, fall into the same category here. Uh, this is an article on multiplayerblog.mtv.com. Uh, it's basically talking about why uh, Minecraft and other games that want to sell items through their through their game are not on Steam. Steam has a Steam locks that down pretty hard, uh, making sure that all of your money that you exchange goes through Steam, so they probably probably so they can take a cut themselves. You can't have uh, microtransactions or in-game purchases unless you're going through Steam's API layer, so that they can track it. This is one of the big reasons I think EA also pulled out. I know that they stopped doing uh, Dragon Age 2 for that specific reason and pull off Crisis and Battlefield 3 now is not coming out. On Steam, at least, uh, not that what I've heard, unless they're working to change that, but it's mainly due to those reasons of locking down that uh, the trans- financial transactions. Yeah, I kind of wish there was one place I could go to get all my gaming content. Uh, it's really unfortunate that they have to make these um, price hikes or take cuts of microtransactions. Um so maybe we need something else. What do you guys think? I guess this is a discussion topic. You know, if you're building a new game, would you, like an indie game, for instance, would you want to put it on Steam, or would you put it on EA Origin, or use these, uh, basically these content delivery services that are made by other companies? Are those good... Good idea. What do you guys think? I don't know. I think it, from my perspective, it really depends on your on your business model. Okay, like as far as do you have a, a, a recognizable brand name established? Do people know who your company is? Uh, do they care who you are? Do you make good games? If you're coming right out of the the starting gates, like like we are, I mean, uh, is it something where these delivery services and services is what they are? That's why they take a cut of your your money because you know they're a service for you to get your game out there to many more people than you would in your own likely you know if, if you're brand new it, it would help in terms of exposure and you know if your game was a big hit uh you know the next game you put out people are going to know who you are and then you can maybe transition to your own delivery service but i mean if you're an established company like ea why the, why the heck would you need to go through steam because people know how to get you are they have their own delivery services um you know I don't blame them for pulling out. To be honest with you, uh, if if Steam was trying to take a cut, I don't I don't see why they'd want to put up with that. You know, so it really depends on where you're at with your business, I suppose. That's my take on it. What do you think, Sean? I agree with a lot of that. I, I actually I agree with all of it. it. Just it just makes me mad at the same time just because I want uh, to open Steam and and play Battlefield Three through there. And so it's kind of my own selfish reasons, I guess, that I want EA to concede, but um, it's their own... I mean, it, I completely understand that, too. Like, they can do everything that Steam offers, and they every, everyone knows Battlefield 3, so they don't need to really advertise through Steam to get people to buy it. Um, yeah, so... Yeah. It's just unfortunate that this now split up multiple social gaming... Right. Uh, we have to get another program, to, another program to track who's in what game and join their game with them and stuff. I mean, that was one of the best parts about Battlefield Two Bad Company is that whenever one of you guys or any of the other people I knew online were playing, you know, just right click, join game, you're in through Steam, which yeah. is really nice setup. So, Steam, they do allow you to to lo- to um, basically have shortcuts in Steam to play, launch other games, and then when you when you launch that game, if you launch it through Steam, it'll show you. You're like your uh, profile is playing whatever game that you shortcutted to. Oh, nice. Yeah, but you just can't do that that uh, nice shift tab thing where you um, bring up the the heads up display across your game and chat with people. So, yeah. so how did Minecraft do it? Because they were a no name company, and all of a sudden, you know, they're well, it's like pushing one guy content directly down to people. Basement. 
Yeah, the game went viral. I mean, that was it. The yeah. game totally went viral, and it got the publicity it needed to kind of rock it off into the stratosphere, you know? And the media started covering it. It was on some big media game. You know, it was sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy because the game was really well-made, right, and just very fun to play. And then the guy started, you know, word of mouth got around. He started making Buko Bucks. And then media captured it because they're like, wow, some dude in his basement made this game that's, you know, made a million dollars. And then as soon as that hit the media, boom, you know, you got a viral sensation on your hands. And that's why Minecraft is what it is today. So it kind of just kind of, you know, he hit all the right marks. Everything happened how it was supposed to happen for that guy. It's kind of like our games didn't go through all of our podcast listeners. <laughs> <laughs> that's the goal. Like all, all three of them, like all of our parents are going to spread word of mouth after listening to our podcast. <laughs> our parents and wives and girlfriends would be perfect. Yeah. Well, we had that one guy at the Java user group who raised his hand. I mean, he might buy it, right? Yeah, true. Yep. True. <laughs> sure. <laughs> you got to start small. Right? Yeah, you got to start small. We ready to move on to other random? Yes. All right, so moving on to random news. Uh, George Clooney was asked by a bunch of his fans and some people of notoriety to run for president. And uh, in response, he then push the puck down to Matt Damon. <laughs> so his quote was referring to Ronald Reagan. George Clooney suggested that it was time for another actor to run for presidency, but not him. Surprisingly, he does not mean that he would be a candidate. Instead, he suggests his colleague Matt Damon to become president. He says, Damon has been politically active for years and has spoken out critically against Obama's financial and educational policy. So, uh, I guess that's a requirement to run for president is you have to, you know, bash the current system, no matter how <laughs> relevant that may be. But uh, that's what they do. And Clooney says he's more interested in making films than in a career in politics. Uh, his quote was, if I make a mistake, it's not going to cost 100,000 people their lives. I'm very happy telling stories. Films don't hurt people. They just get bad reviews sometimes. I also heard another quote from him that we don't have in our show notes, but he basically said, um, yeah, do I really want to be president and have to go through all that crap when I basically am living a life of complete luxury surrounded by very seductive women? <laughs> so, I mean, from that standpoint, totally hear you, George. I mean, you got everything you need, man. <laughs> you don't need to give that all up to go run for president. Probably lose. So, Probably lose. <laughs> what do you guys think? George Clooney for Prez or Matt Damon? Uh... I don't really know. If you yeah, had to choose. I think, like, getting a born supremacist in there would be pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess he it is kind of threatening, isn't he? I mean, other countries might worry a little bit about um, attacking the U.S. if Matt Damon was in there. He'd be the one-man army, right? Sure. It's like Vladimir Putin, you know. Half the the stuff he puts out to the media in Russia is him either wrestling a tiger with his shirt off or doing judo, you know, which he's like supposedly a sixth degree black belt or something. And that's after his time in the KGB, so I think other countries fear that that sort of aura, you know. So yeah, if we had Matt Damon for president, they'd, they'd watch Bourne's Premacy and nobody'd mess with us. <laughs> I like that sounds good. Then they watch Go to Hunting and like, wow he's smart. It's <laughs> <laughs> great. Alright, so ready for the spotlight? What do you guys think? Yeah, let's do, let's it. do it. Okay, the spotlight today is on microtransactions and in-app billing in Android. And um, Brian and I have been looking at this a little bit this week, trying to understand how to apply this to our projects. Um, I'm going to kind of go through several areas here, kind of give an overview, architecture, um, the two main pieces of it, security concerns, and uh, Brian's going to help out with administering in-app content. So and feel free to chime in at any time, guys, if you guys have been reading about this stuff or have questions. So we'll start with the overview and what's available on uh, Google. So as many of you know, uh, microtransactions are getting pretty popular these days as a way to cover the cost for creating video games instead of charging people uh, money just for the game itself 
give away the game and charge for items or upgrades or new levels, downloadable content. And the good thing is that it's not going to cost you any more than it would to bundle it with the game itself. So Google will charge a 30% fee for each transaction, which is the same fee that they charge for uh, downloading an app or selling an app. Um, and they take care of a lot of the infrastructure for you for uh, delivering the content. Unfortunately, um, you still have to take care of a lot of stuff yourself. And these microtransactions are, uh, I guess, not the easiest thing to implement in Android. I mean, they, they give you a great example project that shows you how to do the asynchronous messaging, and here are some of the classes you could use, and here are a lot of the messages, messages that get sent back and forth. Uh, but it's not like a, just a really simple API. And I'll get into that a little bit later, talk about what, what they actually give you. Also, uh, security is a huge concern here, and they're really worried about hackers and, and people stealing your content that you could download. Uh, so they have a lot of best practices or things that they recommend everybody to, to do in order to get around hackers and people stealing invisible swords and stuff. So we'll talk about that. Um, what was interesting is I was reading that they, the reason I think that they gave you just a bundle of example code instead of implementing this is because they want everybody to implement their own version of this code, their own version of the in-app billing, um, in order to not expose the same security holes or have every application exposed to hackers the same way they want you to implement it yourself. And that kind of seems to me like it's um, just a, a bad style or bad way to increase security through obfuscation. I, I don't know. I feel like they could have done better just making it rock-solid secure rather than having everybody just kind of rehash the same in-app billing code and make it obfuscated. So wasn't very happy about that. Um, but it is what it is, and... What I'm trying to do right now is take a lot of what they've written and create a different sort of easy design or a simple design for it, sort of wrap up their classes and create uh, abstract classes. And I'll post a lot of the stuff on our website, but I'm pretty far along with it right now. My goal was to um, take things like... Um, classes or entities like store and, and have like a safe for items and figure out what types of items there are. Just do some software engineering and and come up with an easy design where you can just download a library and kind of go against the best practices <laughs> and just hook this into your app and, and let it run. I mean, most people probably aren't really concerned about hackers stealing the content, downloadable content right away. You just want to get your game in the store. You want to be able to sell content and get it get it going. So uh, we'll have an update on that later on, and I'll post all the source code and bundle it up for you. But let's let's focus here on um, what what's available. So the first part is the architecture, and what's available is basically you're doing interprocess communication with the Android Market application. And the way they do interprocess communication is through this um, interface called an AIDL, which is Android Interface Definition Language. So it's this this file that describes sort of the interface that the Android Market application exposes that uh, other apps can hook into. So you it's like an asynchronous messaging system, and you'll send messages to the Market application telling it you want to do things like. Um, purchase something or refund something or uh, take another action like that and the application itself will go out to um, the internet and out to Google servers and billing and uh, it will process the transactions take the money in whatever currency it's in and transfer it over to your account and Brian can talk a little bit later about what your account is and how to access that and kind of what that's all about um but it's nice that you don't have to worry about uh, all these different payment systems, and and you can just focus on getting your your content out there. So after you've sort of hooked into the AIDL for the uh, Android Market application, you, there's two big pieces here we have to worry about. One is the billing, and one is content delivery. Um, 
So the billing part, yeah, you just you're sending messages off to the application. You're waiting for asynchronous responses, and the content delivery part, uh, they recommend that you run your own servers, and instead of bundling the content with the application because it's supposedly easier to access or crack the the content locally than it is to have your own servers. Um, so I'm not really sure why that is, but I guess it could be for security reasons here. Uh, so. If you want to get just started, you can you can bundle it, bundle the application or the content in there. But they say it can be fresh content. You can update it more frequently. You can put it on your own servers and have it streamed down to the application. So um, it would have been nice if they could have handled more of that content delivery for us. And since they're taking a 30% cut, I guess I would have expected that they would have done something like that. Instead, we have to host our own servers for, for content delivery. Okay, security concerns. Uh, I was reading about this a little bit earlier. Yeah, I think that um, what you're mainly concerned with hiding is your private key. Uh, You also have a merchant ID, which I don't think it's important to hide that from what I read. Um, But yeah, there's definitely a a private key uh, that has to do with the the signing of your application, from my understanding. I guess I haven't gotten to that part exactly in the, the examples. So... Still trying to understand how that works and how to pull your private key out of the application itself. Um, so what they want you to do is to use inline methods or inline methods to other methods, construct strings on the fly instead of defining them as constants. So you having like a private static final string, you know, whatever. Uh, maybe it's the item identifier is a ba- is a really bad idea. They recommend concatenating things together, doing it all in memory at runtime uh, so that people can't maybe decompile your classes and find at least constants and hook into your application. They also suggest using Java Reflection to call methods, which is um, challenging, I guess. (laughs) And they mentioned that attackers are looking for known entry points and exit points in an application, so you want to modify these parts of your code and make sure they're not identical to the sample application. That's what they said. Um, and if you're doing some testing after you have some of this example code hooked in, they have reserve product IDs you can use uh, that do not actually transfer money. Uh, some of these are for purchasing, canceling, refunding, and um, item sending back a message saying that item is not available. And there are, there are two kinds of items that you can sell in this system. There's a what they call a managed item or an unmanaged item. And I like to think of them as like a permanent item versus a disposable item. So if you're, you were to go to a new, a new phone and you had an account, um, your permanent items would go with you. If you were to reinstall the app, the permanent items would come back. Um, the disposable items are things like, um, they gave an example of a poker chip, something that you would spend in uh, in a game, or maybe it's a, a mana potion or a health potion that you don't want to reappear after they use it. So you have to think about what these different items are and how they map to things that you're selling in your game. Um, yeah, like like I said before, I'm going to build some library classes here to share with everybody to make it easier for you. <laughs> I'm going going against some of their guidelines and and probably releasing common code that other people can use, but hopefully maybe if people can give back ideas, we can make this thing rock solid as far as security is concerned. And and I think there's other ways we could secure this this type of a library without having to have everybody re-implement it, because it's, it's probably going to take you maybe all weekend if you were to do it yourself and hook it into a real system. So maybe we'll try to at least get you off the ground and um, you know help out the community a little bit. Brian, you want to talk about uh, administering in-app content a little bit? Sure. So basically, when you start building apps, you know you're already at that point if you're if you're interested in this part of our podcast. So you've got your Google Merchant account. You log into your Google Merchant account, and then what you do is you have to upload your application um, that you want to publish to the you know either to the publish or not publish, but you have to upload it either way. So you've got to do some uh, various things in order to be able to publish it if you want to. 
um, such as you know you have to add a few pieces of art, like a high resolution uh, photograph that you've made for your image. They specify the pixel dimensions for you, so really it's your chance to kind of build that one that one picture that represents your game or your or your application. And then you also have to put in some screenshots, uh, at least two. Um, those are kind of those things that when you browse the Android market, you know, when you look at the apps to download, you see those in there. That's because they're required and people need to put them in there. So, um, yeah, it's as simple as that, really. You upload your app, <coughs> you add the art and maybe a video. They actually give you a, a field to put a promotional video on YouTube, and then you link to that there. Um, and there's a bunch of other fields too, as far as currency is concerned, you know, is your app going to be free? Is it going to be paid for? Uh, if so, how much? And then you do a currency conversion based on, you know, global rates at the time you publish and, uh, go from there. So then what you do is once you've got your app uploaded and in the market, not really, you know, it doesn't have to be published, so it's not in the market, so to speak yet, but it's published. It's in your developer account. What you do is go back to the home screen and you click on the app um, and go to in-app products. And really, that's the meat and potatoes of it right there. You go to in-app products, and if you filled out the information right and uh, filled in the billing information and all the required fields for your app when you submitted it, uh, you'll be able to add in-app products. And the prerequisites to this whole process are obviously getting your Google Merchant account set up properly, ensuring that your bank account has been verified, and that your app, you know, your merchant ID is good to go. And there's a few steps before this, which are pretty easy. You just have to do them. So once you get that to that step there, you simply add the in-app uh, sort of items that you like, and you put a descriptor in them, and it gives you an app ID or sort of an in-app item ID. And then you go back to your code and, and put that in the portions where, you know, the transaction code is is laid out. So it'll reference that particular item when you say click on buy mana potion. It'll know which item to go to because you made that item ID. Um, and then you've got the connection. And then basically what happens is they click on that, it brings them to the uh, Google checkout, and they purchase the uh, mana potion for 99 cents or whatever. And then Google takes 30% of that. The rest goes directly to your Google mer merchant account, which you can then have go directly to your bank account. So it works pretty well. Um, Pretty fluid at that point. Once you get to that to that step, anyway. So, uh, the product lists. You know, you can have as many in-app purchases as you want. As far as we know, uh, we don't see any. There was no limit as far as we could see. So it's a good thing. Um, but yeah, microtransactions are uh, are the way ahead, ladies and gentlemen. It's only going to get more and more prevalent as the time goes on. Yeah, and the way I understand it, Google's the only company that has these in-app transactions besides maybe Apple, but Amazon, for instance, they don't have this set up yet, so you could do microtransactions at their um, content marketplace. Hmm. That, was, that was a great spotlight, guys. Good job. Thanks, Sean. Well, Mike did the majority of the work on that, for sure. He spent many, many hours this week uh, getting this whole thing set up, and now that we've kind of cracked the code, we still have a little ways to go, but um, we're way farther than we were a few weeks ago, so thanks for your hard work on that, Mike. You're, you're braving new ground for all of us. <laughs> I'm just trying to write the code, and, and then you guys want me to do a spotlight on it, and it's like, oh, I have to give a speech on this? I just want to write the code, put it on the website, and let everybody use it. You know, and, But we'll, uh, we'll try to clean it up for you guys and make it something pretty useful for everybody. Um, so I hope you enjoyed it. So is there a, is, I have some questions there. Is there like a refundable window time span or if you purchase something you can, like Google mandates that you have to allow for a refund with so much, so much time? Yes. The developer guidelines specify that uh, if somebody wants a refund, you got to give it to them. <laughs> and there's also a bunch of other guidelines that say that every product you release on the market has to be supported. You have to have somebody to answer the phone. And if you don't, um, they can report you. And basically you can get a bad... Uh, knock on your developer account, and if you get so many bad knocks, they actually ban you from putting apps on the market anymore. So it's kind of a fix-yourself type process. So you know, if you're going to put apps in the market, you got to be ready to support them. You got to be ready to give refunds if somebody's not satisfied. Uh, you got to be ready to do all that sort of support 
which I think a lot of people don't think about, but it's definitely a mandate. So what's the refund window? Like, any time I can buy an app, and then two months later I can ask for a refund think, when I'm bored with I it? I think we specify that, actually. I'm not sure. Um, okay. I'm assuming there's a, a, a floor level, you know, like it can't be, like, one hour yeah. or something like that. But yeah. uh, in the our merchant account for our developer, actually not our merchant account, but our developer account, there's a portion there where we link to like a support page, you know, like, all right, so if you guys need support with your game, call this number, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, you know, refunds will be handled within, you know, I basically put in there, refunds will be handled according to the developer guidelines. So um, we'd have to go back and reread that, that massive document to see if they specify a, a floor or ceiling in terms of time frame, but I don't know off the top of my head. You really need to offer phone support or just email? Uh, email will work too. Yeah, I say phone loosely, but yeah, you have to offer some sort okay. of support. You know, where they they can get a hold of you and say, you know, I got a problem, and you got to be able to respond. You know, otherwise you run the risk of them coming back and and not giving you a favorable review or doing worse. You know, reporting you to Google. Then we'll only offer snail mail support. <laughs> <laughs> To our proxy location in, in Bangladesh, India. <laughs> what about the shape defense hotline? You guys want to take calls on that all day? Sure, 24-7. <laughs> Let's run another version of you, Mike, and we'll put them on there. Yeah. Take some robot recordings and just put them out there. Yep. <laughs> I love it. All right, are you guys done with this podcast? Are we ready to conclude it? I think we're ready. Yep. Okay, I'm going to handle the conclusion. So first I wanted to thank everybody who came to the jug in August. Uh, We love you. We appreciate your support. We thank you for your patience and um, coming out to support us and just soak in all that information. Uh, Appreciate the questions and uh, the interactivity that we had there. Um, also, wanted to say that you guys can um, find our show notes on our website, www.discernalrats.com. And if you have a short audio question that you want to ask us about anything from mermaids to treasures to I don't know what else we talk about here, but and you're welcome to email that to discernalrats at gmail.com, and we will probably play it on our podcast and answer your question. So if you want to be super famous, we have a handful of listeners out there, and uh, yeah, send us that clip. You can ask us anything. We will try to answer it. Uh, friend us on Facebook if you want a chance to win a DGR t-shirt. Sean has some pretty nifty ones now. They're a uh, different color even. We should put a picture of those up there on the website one of these days. Yep, so if we made a mistake, please correct us. Send us an email. And... Cheers, and I guess we'll see you guys hopefully in a couple weeks here. Uh, Over and out. (laughs) All right, see you, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Disgruntled Rats podcast. We hope you join us next time. Visit our website for more information at www.disgruntledrats.com.